Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. The times, they are changing around here. A week of historic firsts, a week of something that we have never once seen before over the course of the last decade. We have got it all in store for here uh, here for you on Seattle Sports Saturday over the course of the next two hours right here on 710 ESPN Seattle with you till 1 o'clock. I'm Curtis Rogers, and I'm joined by my guy, someone who I know has cleared his DVR in the last 12 years, Mr. Taylor Jacobs. Taylor, good morning to you. Oh, thank you, Curtis. Hey, save off, save, save often, save yourself. That's the rule I live by. You got to back it up. And uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I make sure I save those recordings somehow. I find a way, you know what I mean? But happy Absolutely. to be back. It's, it, it's been a while since I've been on air. So I'm, uh, thank, thanks for having me back, Curtis. I feel, I feel welcome. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Come on in. The water's fine. But yeah, we have yeah. got plenty to get uh plenty to get to here over the course of the next two hours also cougar football coming up this afternoon on 710 espn seattle that'll get going uh about an hour or so after we're done at least with the pregame show but like i said a historic week in seattle sports on one end you've got the kraken dropping the pucks for the very first time in games that count and they are now one and one after their first two games both of them just so so entertaining from start to finish uh you've got their comeback against vegas which fell short thanks to the uh just blown call by the refs of the uh, kicked goal by uh vegas and then you've got the back and forth affair against nashville on thursday night with seattle coming away with their first victory in franchise history stick tap to the kraken for that and then tonight they take on the columbus blue jackets as they continue this five-game road trip uh, the middle part of this five-game road trip, but also this week, and I think this is something that we all kind of took for granted over the last decade or so, and it's Russell Wilson's availability, because for at least the next three weeks, he will not be in the Seahawks lineup. It'll be at Geno Smith tomorrow, and gosh, back in 2011, that was the last time Russell Wilson was not a starting quarterback for the Seahawks. It was Tavares Jackson, New Year's Day 2012, the last time anybody else besides Russell Wilson started a game for the Seahawks at quarterback. Taylor, do you even remember what you were doing in 2011? What was what was uh, young Tay up to back then? Well, Probably rowdy as just... ever. Yeah, well, I just did a quick Google search, and uh, clearly I was party rocking because party rock anthem was the top was one of the top two songs of the year. Katy Perry "Firework," which is still a, a great, great song. Yes, uh, but Adele "Rolling in the Deep." So I was probably really emotional in my feelings, uh, you, you know, fresh out of college, drinking IPAs because I thought I was cool, that type of a guy. <laughs> It's been so long since anybody else has started a game for the Seahawks. Uh, We will get into what this team needs to do in order to beat the Steelers, which, look, Russell Wilson is out. That's obviously the one that's grabbing headlines. But also yesterday we got the news that Chris Carson placed on IR as well. That is going to be another issue for this Seahawks team as they look to obviously get back to the ground game when you don't have Russell Wilson there. What do you do best? 
running the ball, hopefully, but you don't have your number one running back there. So Alex Collins expected to get the bulk of the carries this Sunday. Next Sunday, it sounds as though Rashad Penny might be back, which, I mean, depending on who you ask, that might be a good thing, may not be a good thing, but uh, it is going to be just a chaotic day tomorrow for the Seahawks. And I would imagine those of us who watch it tomorrow as well, there is never going to be any sort of... uh, any sort of situation that'll put you at ease, especially because Russell Wilson's not under center, and that has been the ultimate comfort blanket for this team. The ultimate thing you can rely upon over the last decade has been Russell Wilson in the starting lineup. That's no longer the case, at least for the time being. But, uh, Taylor, I, before we get to the big three here, I mean, when you look at this matchup, when you look at what Geno Smith can possibly do, are you hopeful did did anything you saw in that Rams game give you hope for tomorrow against these Pittsburgh Steelers look I think it's a good matchup for Gino to sort of come into I think that the Steelers are also dealing with their issues and trying to figure out their new identity their offensive line is in a you know in a confusing place having it been one of the best over years past so uh I did see some glimpses and I know what Gino can do. The thing he needs to be the best at tomorrow is just not turning the ball over. It, it, it's Look, he's going to go three and out sometimes. There's going to be some incomplete passes at times. But don't give the ball away. Get DK and Tyler involved. Get the run game with Alex Collins going. Be that game manager. And then hopefully allow your defense to make a couple of plays for you and finally figure out their rhythm um, because it's going to take something like that for them to win tomorrow against the Steelers team in that Super Bowl XL rematch. Yeah, boy. If we want to throw back even further, we can look back to 2005. That was uh, quite the trip down memory lane there. But uh, so much to get to on this edition of Seattle Sports Saturday. We'll talk some cracking coming up in this in this hour, at the bottom of the hour, actually. Uh, also, more Seahawks talk coming your way throughout the next two hours. And we're going to even sprinkle in some Mariners talk because there was a big article written this week by Mitch Haniger that has everyone still talking a couple days later. So without further ado, let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it, the big story of the week. Russell Wilson, the middle, the, the middle finger on the throwing hand, the injury, uh, something like Curtis said, we haven't seen in over a decade. Russell Wilson will not be starting for the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. And uh, unlike previous Steelers and Seahawks matchups of old, this one will be pretty injury-filled. Quarterback Russell Wilson, we know he's out for several weeks on the IR with that right-throwing hand middle finger. Geno Smith will make his first start in nearly four years uh, while Russell is healing. The Seahawks will also be without Chris Carson, who is ruled out with that lingering neck injury. So the ball now bounces to the Irish jig master himself, Alex Collins. Luckily, it appears that Big Ben on the other side on the Steelers, it appears the time on his clock appears to be running out as well. And not having Juju Smith-Schuster will also prove to make time in the pocket more difficult for him. Will the Seahawks be able to capitalize on that? Will the defense show up? We'll discuss all of that next at 11.15. Number two. Well, just as we were all casually going about our mornings on Thursday, Mariners outfielder Mitch Haniger decided to take it upon himself and break Mariners' social media with an article he wrote for the Players' Tribune. 
The article starts off detailing his recovery from the string of injuries he suffered that kept him away from baseball for a year and a half, but then it gets into the out-of-nowhere run the Mariners went on in 2021 that left them with the most wins they've had in a season since 2003. In that article, Hanniger promises that the soon-to-be 21-year playoff drought will end, and he also became the first current Mariner to under contract to put public pressure on ownership to spend this offseason. Will others follow suit? I mean, we have heard from Ryan Divish that there are some guys in that clubhouse that aren't necessarily thrilled with the direction of the organization over the last couple of years. Maybe something will change in an offseason that's going to be full of free agents to pick from and maybe even some trade candidates too. Do others need to follow suit? We'll get into that conversation coming up in this hour. Number three. Well, Canadians and hockey fans, it's time to rejoice as the Seattle Kraken made their debut this week against the Las Vegas Golden Knights in a thrilling 4-3 loss on the road. Yes, there was a controversial soccer-like kick in the game, but we'll discuss that a little bit later in the hour. But let's not gloss over the Kraken getting that first victory in Game 2 against the Nashville Predators by a score of 4-3. to three. Jared McCann, Alex Wenberg, and Brandon Tenev are the scorers for your team, with Tenev scoring two of the four goals. The excitement continues today at 4 p.m. against the Columbus Blue Jackets as the Kraken continue their NHL five-game away tour before the home opener next weekend. However, those feelings about talking about the Seattle hockey, having regular season hockey to talk about here in the Pacific Northwest that isn't just Canucks or a different team, having our own team, it's been nothing short of an amazing experience. And that will all pale in comparison, I'm assuming, next Saturday when the Canucks come to Seattle for the first ever matchup at the Climate Pledge Arena Curtis, I know you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're, we're a mere seven days away from a new arena home opener, a new team home opener. And uh, it just feels like you uh, you can feel it around town. You really can. I mean, the energy surrounding the Kraken and, and their fan base in the buildup has obviously been you know, one of the biggest stories of that. But now, I mean, the keys have been handed over to the arena staff. That happened yesterday. The building is is all set, ready to go. We're going to have, a, what is it, a Coldplay concert this week that'll sort of officially open the building. But then the Kraken, obviously, that's the main event. That's, that's why this building was built. That's why this arena was knocked down and rebuilt because you have a, a bona fide NHL franchise in Seattle, something that has not happened in this town ever. I mean, we've had professional hockey at various intervals in this town, but none at the top level that the NHL represents. So, yeah, Taylor, I mean, I think every sports fan in this town has some level of excitement, and obviously those who are going to be in the building next Saturday, their level of excitement is going to be just insane. Uh, I'm going to be watching on TV that night because I don't have the $3,500 to drop on tickets for uh, just getting in the building uh, because that's what it looks like it's going for on the secondary market right now. Uh, but, Taylor, you're actually going to have the opportunity to be in the building for opening night. I I can't imagine just how excited you and your family are for that. 
Yeah, I mean, again, my mom is from Toronto. My dad grew up a big hockey fan, a big sports fan in the Midwest. So for me to be with them, it's going to be so amazing. Um, uh, my wife won't be here. She'll be out of town, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, my sister will be coming, so it'll be a big family event, but, uh, we, we aren't paying the resale. We have season tickets. Uh, we're really, really excited to see it. And, uh, just like the, the family text chain during the games has been so much fun, you know, getting to know this roster and some of the players and, you know, Talking about the future of guys like Geeky and 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 the Geek Squad was a, a thing I already saw within two games. It's just been so fun. And Tenev, the ghost stories, and there's just been and Grubauer and the Grooby, the 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 chanting. It just felt so good um, to 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 see that, to feel that, and it's our team that we get to experience as a city. And I'm just so excited and and. Now I, I I'm I can't wait for this season to start and I can't wait for the game and then as soon as that's done I'm I'm already NBA pick up the phone let's talk let let's let's, uh, let's show them what it's like next week let's show them what they're missing here in the Pacific Northwest when they moved our team and let's get that NBA back here too so we can become that true uh, sports city that we deserve to be yeah you'd have all four of the major sports five major sports in this town that's. I think Seattle can absolutely handle that. Uh, some honorable mentions before we get to break here. Cougs taking on. Uh, they've got a game today. They play, what, Stanford again? Stanford. Uh, yeah, yeah Stanford. Stanford. That's this afternoon, which obviously that's kind of a, a minor headline to the possibility of it being Nick Rolovich's final game as head coach of the Cougs. We are still awaiting ruling from uh, the state of Washington on whether or not Rolovich can remain employed after the vaccination deadline. Not a whole lot else can be said about that other than Nick Rolovich knows the consequences, and if he's willing to live with that, uh, then that's his that's his business. And then also UW facing UCLA tonight, a tough matchup for the Huskies. Those are or that is your big three. But when we return here on Seattle Sports Saturday, Russell Wilson missing his first game in a decade. So who needs to step up in his absence? We give you our answers. We want to hear from you on the Mac and Jack's text line. 206-421-3776 is the number to text. Your answers and ours coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Mac and Jack's text line is there for you if you want to join in on the conversation at any point this morning here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Who needs to step up with Russell Wilson now out for the next three weeks? And really, Taylor, we can extend this conversation to who needs to step up with Chris Carson out as well because he is going to miss the exact same amount of time as Russell Wilson will uh, dealing with that neck injury, which, I mean, the history of neck injuries with this Seahawks franchise a little stressful because we all know how the careers of Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill ended. You can never be too cautious with those. I do think it is a good thing that the Seahawks are handling Chris Carson with some oven mitts here because he plays the most physical position on the football field, and neck injuries are nothing to uh, nothing to play around with. No, yeah. As as someone who's had a uh, spinal cord concussion, <laughs> and at one point they thought my uh, my legs weren't going to work from a hit I took in football. Yeah, I would say neck injuries. I I take them pretty seriously. You should take them pretty seriously as well. 
like you said, when it comes to a star running back like Chris Carson and someone you want to be here for quite some time and a, and a pillar of the reason why you succeed going forward. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a whole new look, Curtis, and this is something, again, for the past decade, we have not seen a team uh, with, without Russell Wilson behind center or under center, depending on the formation. Yeah, it, it's just so bizarre to think that it has been oh, a decade since that's happened. But Taylor, when you look at this team right now, they're obviously lacking in some areas, but that gives players an opportunity to step up and really, you know, make up for what is lacking. And right now, the Seahawks defense is not in a position that I think anybody thought it would be in this year where they are looking like what they looked like the first half of last season, which is one of the worst defenses in the league, giving up 400-yard game after 400-yard game, 500-yard game here or there. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, let's look there first. Who do you think this game rests upon if the Seahawks are going to come away with, let's face it, the upset victory, because right now Vegas has the Seahawks as the underdogs going into this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be Jamal Adams and his ability to get pressure. Look, we know Big Ben isn't mobile. We know Jamal Adams is the opposite of that. He's extremely mobile, and when he blitzes, when he gets after the quarterback, he has shown a great level of success. Now, this season hasn't quite been there, right? And I think that's one thing, whether it's scheme, whether it's on Jamal, we don't know what's happening behind the doors. We don't know what they're calling. We don't On defense specifically, it's a lot harder to figure out what their true assignments are in the defense. But having said that, the numbers are the, the the lack of numbers are there and I think this is one of those games where Jamal can have a breakout a 2-3 sack type, two and a half sack type game that really helps this offense without Russell Wilson get the ball back or force turnovers and make it a little bit easier for them to manage this game and and I think that's where it's going to start um, that that pressure on the quarterback and using Jamal as one of those pieces. What about you, Curtis? What defensive piece do you think needs to step up uh, tomorrow night? I would, I I'll agree with you on Jamal Adams, but for the sake of conversation and to give another option, I think Bobby Wagner becomes that guy that needs to step up. And you know, there there is a portion of the fan base that you know Bobby can't do any wrong, but. Look, his play the last couple of weeks has not been to the standard that we've come to expect from Bobby Wagner, whereas he's that all pro. He's that guy that just everybody rallies around. He is the he is what Russell Wilson is on that side of the ball, where he is a constant. And when you are somebody that has already cemented your legacy in Canton, Ohio, it's, you know, there shouldn't be any worry about you, right? But his play has not been what we have come to expect They're They've been giving up a lot of plays in the middle over the last couple of weeks here. And that's concerning. If this Seahawks team wants to win, Bobby has to play like the Bobby Wagner of, I'm not expecting him to be the Bobby Wagner of eight or nine years ago, but give me the Bobby of like two to three years ago. I would gladly take that. Your point about Jamal Adams, Taylor, about him, potentially getting those sacks that he has been craving over the course of the season's first five games. I look at, you know, the situation, Ben Roethlisberger, not mobile at all anymore. 
he does take a lot of sacks. He does take a lot of hits. Hopefully some of those will come from Jamal Adams. You look at the Seahawks right now in terms of their sack production, the only guy who's really gotten it going at any point is Daryl Taylor. I believe the Seahawks have four sacks in their last couple of games. Three of those are from Daryl Taylor alone. So outside of him, there has not been a whole lot of pass rush generated, or at least a lot of payoff of the pass rush being generated because sacks are one of those stats where it it is kind of not necessarily misleading but hits and pressures those are almost as important as sacks are but that is the payoff to hits and pressures a lot of the time and and we want to see that paid off I think that side of the ball it it does come down to Bobby and Jamal in in how they go is how the defense goes. And offensively, Taylor, I mean, the obvious answer is Geno Smith because he hasn't started a game in, what, four or five seasons? But is there anybody else offensively that you look at and say, this game will rest in his hands if he has a good or bad game? Well, I think it's kind of funny that my two answers are going to end up being the two guys who held in this offseason and Dwayne Brown. He's such a tone setter on that offensive line. Um, look, having interviewed him, when he walks in the room, you you know he's there. You feel his presence. He is that type of a guy. And look, the offensive line is going to have to really protect Geno to allow him to to manage this game and to to lead this team to a victory. So it starts with him. He is the guy they all look to on that line. Uh, again, I, I also want to preface it. It's not like either of Jamal, Bobby, Dwayne so far. They're not bad or having bad seasons, but we know what to expect from them at their best. And I think that's all what we're thinking about here is, and I'm sure they would say it themselves, is that they know the level of football that they can play at the very top when they're at the top of their game. And they need to just figure out and find that rhythm. And I think when Dwayne on the offensive side finds that rhythm, I think you're going to see some of those bigger uh, gaps for Collins or Penny or, or Carson, hopefully in a few weeks when he comes back to really attack those those gaps and, and help Geno Smith manage this game and go down the field, control the clock, control the tempo of the game and make sure that that defense is tired and your defense is rested. So to me, I'm going to start in the trenches, and I'm going to go with uh, Dwayne Brown. What about you? Well, like like you said, the rhythm. As, as as Gloria Estefan once sang, the rhythm is going to get you, and hopefully it gets the Seahawks offense going. Uh, Gloria Estefan, the GOAT, by the way. Uh, yeah. Slappers. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, on the offensive side of the ball, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that offensive line, and, and it's the run game, whether it be – Alex Collins, who gets the majority of the carries, which I'm kind of expecting that to be the case. Maybe DJ Dallas taps into that preseason performance that we saw from him. Maybe Travis Homer gets in there. Uh, There's got to be somebody that steps up running the ball with Chris Carson out because, look, Geno Smith is your quarterback. You're probably not going to want to be in a position where you're throwing it 40, 50 times a game. You're going to want to run the ball as much as possible with Geno at quarterback, which means one of these guys has to step up. Now, Collins has the most experience. He had nearly a thousand yard season with Baltimore a few years ago. Uh, So maybe there is that ability within him to, to go out and do it. He looked he looked good at times against the Rams last week, you know, filling in for Carson. 
Collins is a guy you don't necessarily worry about. You don't think he's going to put out a, a clunker of a performance. But I also don't know if if his top end performance is going to be something that blows you away. I, I would say Collins right now, if you expect anything more than like 80 yards from him, that would be a, a big day for him. So to me, I'm going running back as as the position, not necessarily the player, but the position group that needs to step up in Russell Wilson's absence. Who do you think is going to be that player or position group that needs to, to set the tone on Sunday? Text into the Mac and Jacks text line 206-421-3776. Maybe it's the cornerback group because you don't have Trey Flowers there anymore as he was released this week. Sidney Jones, bless Austin. There's going to be a lot of competition over the next couple of weeks as to who gets that starting spot opposite DJ Reed. So that could be another position group that could that needs to step up in the absence of Russell Wilson. But when we get back, we have had two games in the history of the Seattle Kraken, and there is one thing, one absolute I can tell you about those two games. I'll tell you what it is when we get back here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're two games deep into this ride with the Kraken that's going to last for decades and decades and decades here in the city of Seattle. And, and Taylor, there's not a ton of definites we can pit, we can pull from the first two games because, I mean, look, we don't know what this team is going to be at the season's end, but I can definitively say that they will entertain us nightly because that has been the case in each of the first two games. You had the inaugural game against the Vegas golden Knights, which Taylor, I don't know about you, but like I have already had enough of the Vegas golden Knights, like that franchise, I could definitely see a rivalry sort of uh, bubbling up with their expansion cousins here in Seattle. Yeah, and Molly said it as well here. She was like, I know people think Canucks are the rivals, but don't we hate the Golden Knights now even more? And I think you're right. She's right. I think they might be the number one rivals until we see the Canucks play the old the old Kraken. Uh, the Knights, we just get compared to them constantly. We hear, oh, they're not the Knights. They're not. Uh, uh, well, maybe we're better. You know what I mean? Maybe we're better than them. And it, I, I'm, I'm already sick of the comparisons. I'm already sick of their cheating ways with their kicking. And I'm a soccer fan. They're kicking pucks out here. I mean, if that wasn't a kick, then, I mean, there are a few soccer players who barely make soccer shots then, if you want to define that as not making a kick. But we only have so much time in the show, Curtis. We can only delve so deep into the <laughs> the, the shortcomings of the NHL refs, what, again, I'm assuming will be a decades-long conversation we'll have with this team. Oh, absolutely. That is one common thread that I think every fan base in the NHL shares is just a, a hatred for the refs. And look, I'm glad we got that out of the way game one. I didn't want it to happen later on in the season when there's much more at stake. Game one, already out of the way. I hate NHL refs. I will never like them. I will never respect them, all because they let Chandler Stevenson, the Golden Knights player who kicked the puck, get away with murder in that instance. But uh, look... The first two games, though, wildly entertaining. 
just from a Seattle sports fan perspective, this time of year, we are so used to just looking towards Seahawks games on Sunday or Monday or Thursday, and there really isn't anything else to carry us over to Sundays or Mondays or Tuesday or Thursdays, I should say. You know, maybe the Mariners in the next couple of years make some playoff runs here. They're playing deeper into October. That that'll carry you through this month, but like November, December, January, that we're so used to in the last what is it, 13 years now since the Sonics left, not having a another winter sport. But I found myself watching the Kraken on, what was it, Tuesday night when they opened against Vegas and then on Thursday against Nashville and just thinking to myself, like, yes, like I'm getting emotionally invested in these games and in this team, which is a feeling I have not had in, you know, more than a decade this time of year outside of Seahawks football. And it was such a welcome feeling. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we're getting texts from the 206 Sounders games. Sounders, I love going to the Sounders games, have season tickets, but it, it, it's it been a different feeling with this Kraken team than with the Sounders. And that's no disrespect to the Sounders. I mean, look, they made the playoffs every single season. Fantastic franchise. We know the fans support. But just having knowing what went into the process to get this NHL team and this arena built in this town, it, it felt like a lot of us were just able to finally breathe fresh air for the first time like we did it as a city guys and girls we got the team here for a winter sport we have something to talk about there's appointment viewing and and man that's been so cool to me it's like i i gotta figure out how to get everything done before the cracking game oh the cracking game's going on i can listen to it while i drive to the store and i have to pick up some stuff i'll be back in time just to like watch the the, the start of the game like there, there's all these different things now that happen and come with this new franchise and this new team and it's just been so exciting the games have been exciting i'm hoping that we're not you know, allowing three to four goals per game. that That's one thing I'd like to to, to to fix in the next few weeks is maybe the defense and, and how Gruby can see some of these shots because uh, they're not all on Grubauer. I definitely wouldn't say that he's ha- off to a rough start. So um, it's just been... So, if you can't say you're having fun during this time, I don't, I don't know what you want as a sports fan. I, th- I thought you brought up a, a really great point there when talking about how the heavy lifting for this organization is done. The toughest part of getting a pro sports team in your town is the getting of them, is acquiring them, whether it be through relocation or whether it be through expansion. That is the toughest part. And to me, the hope of seeing NHL here in town, which we now have, like there is a legitimate hockey team in Seattle. That to me gives me hope that one day the NBA might return and, and, Look, there are some heavy heavy hitters, heavy lifters in this town that are willing to put forth the money that it would take to get basketball back in town. And I I know that the this week has been a celebration of hockey in this town, but it also can kind of represent Seattle opening the door to even more in terms of the sports landscape in this town and maybe reclaiming something that they once had in the NBA. Because I guarantee you the NBA is watching – Seattle very closely here they are watching climate pledge arena specifically 
very closely to see if it is up to NBA standards in terms of luxury boxes, in terms of just ticket sales, in terms of just the ability to get to the arena, which was another sticking point as to why Key Arena was not viable in the NBA's eyes. This can represent so much more, which it's hard to even fathom because it already represents a ton to so many people here in this town. I mean, what, the season ticket wait list is 30,000 deep for the Kraken. Like, there is a ton of fever for this team, and it makes me just so excited for what the possibilities can be as a sports fan in the Northwest. And not only that, something you can also hang your hat on already two games in already valued as one of in the top half of the franchises in the NHL and Sportico had their release of the the valuations of the 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 teams and their true values and the Maple Leafs coming in number 1 just over 2 billion um but to see them in front of teams like Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Colorado, St. Louis uh some real teams that have been successful over the past few years and Stanley Cup winners, you your franchise is already considered more valuable than even some of these old storied franchises. So again, that comes with the fans being into this franchise and buying in and the season ticket wait list and the million dollars of merch. And look, I've, I've been up to the, the Northgate facility a few times and the jersey lines and the custom jersey lines and just things flying off the shelves and the, the, the support already for this team. Again, like you said, Curtis, we're, we're two games into this season. We got 80 left and it still feels like we're in for a treat for those 80 games. Yeah, possibility of 81 and 1 still exists. So, look, Woo, we're not. Love to uh, see it. You love to see it. When you look at this Kraken team uh, from what we've seen over the first couple of games, who has stood out to you? Maybe not just in a goal scoring sense or, or just, uh, you know, st- the typical stat lines you see from a hockey game, but is there anybody just from their play, the way they skate? Uh, just their demeanor. Is there anybody you see on this team that has stood out to you that has kind of grabbed your attention? Yeah, I mean, the name everyone's going to go to, I mentioned him earlier, but Morgan Geeky has been the one that seems to be sort of flashing as this sort of super, could be a star in this league, 23 years old. It just has that sort of next gear, it feels like, when he takes the shots. But also, I really like the play of Jared McCann. I, I feel like he's a really solid uh, a person you want to have on this on one of your lines. You can trust him to sort of fill any of those roles as far as leadership go on the ice. Um, had the goal scorer. Uh, and then, of course... We know Tenev is just the craziest fun one. So those are the those are the guys I love watching so far. And again, that's Molly's favorite. So we're a big Tenev house here, at the Jacobs household. Yeah, what about you? you? You can always tell when a guy has endeared himself to fans. And I don't think there's ever been a Seattle sports athlete that's done it quicker than Brandon Tanev. I mean, he's done it in two games. And yeah. obviously he was an expansion pick. So he had the couple months leading up to the season, but I, I can't think of a Seattle sports fan that would be, you know, that wouldn't be in his corner because of just how his demeanor has been. Uh, you mentioned uh, Morgan Geeky. That's a good one. Uh, to me, Vince Dunn, the way he got physical against the Predators the other night, uh, laying out that big hit that kind of sparked the momentum towards Seattle. 
uh, getting in that fight. He lost the fight, but I think he gained a lot of respect in the locker room from his guys uh, basically, you know, saying, hey, I'm willing to drop the gloves for you guys. Let's go. Let's go. And Seattle responded very favorably. I believe Vince Dunn is going to be out for tonight's game. If I uh, read that correctly, it appears as though he'll be day to day uh, just recovering from uh, leaving the game early against Nashville. That's somebody who I looked at. Um, And then also another guy uh, on that top line there, you've got Jordan Everly, you've got Jaden Schwartz, who is is going to be, I I think those two guys are going to really complement Jared McCann very well. I think that is your top line. And just those two guys, uh, to me, are, are guys that have been around this league for a long time. And they know how to play at a professional level, and and they're just going to set the tone for this team. I think this team has a lot of great vets on it, uh, obviously led by Mark Giordano, former Norris Trophy winner, uh, won the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Uh, At one point, he's your captain, which uh, congrats to him being the first captain in Kraken history. That's a big, big honor in NHL circles. So uh, shout out to him for that. But, yeah, I I think to me, Vince Dunn, Jaden Schwartz, and Jordan Eberle, those are the guys who I kind of have latched onto here early on in the season. Coming up next, there were a lot of things said by Mitch Hanniger in his Players' Tribune article. So what's left to be said after what he what he wrote this week. Well, we'll do our best to dive into it right here on Seattle Sports Saturday up next. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Taylor, I don't know about you, but after this week, I'm hyped already for the 2022 Mariners season. And we didn't even see the Mariners play this week. They haven't played in a couple of weeks after getting eliminated in game 162. But something happened on social media, on just the internet itself this week. Mitch Hanniger, Mariners outfielder, I believe he is one of now the longest tenured Mariners, depending on whether or not Kyle Seeger comes back or not in 2022, which I cannot imagine Seeger coming back, especially after the back and forth him and Jerry Depoto have had in the media over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but Mitch Haniger kind of assuming the role of clubhouse leader or one of the clubhouse leaders, him and J.P. Crawford, uh, definitely leading that charge. And this week, Mitch Haniger taking it upon himself to set the tone for the Mariners offseason, writing a column in the Players' Tribune this week entitled Dear Mariners Fans. And it starts off with Haniger talking about his journey back to the major leagues after a year and a half away dealing with just a ton of injuries. Obviously the, the one we all remember is the ruptured testicle he suffered in 2019, but then there were a couple of core injuries he suffered in his rehab of that, which knocked him out for the 2020 season. So he was a year and a half away. What, what could we have expected from Mitch Haniger in 2021? Well, Whatever it was that we expected from him, I would say he exceeded those expectations, coming away with a career high in home runs and and just really playing uh, at a level of play that I don't know any of us had had thought was possible heading into this season. But, Taylor, the big quotes that stand out to me and I think that stood out to every single Mariners fan that's had a chance to read it, if you haven't yet, check it out. Players' Tribune called Dear Mariners Fans, written by Mitch Haniger. He says this, we lost when it mattered most. We fell short of our goal, period. And I need every Mariners fan to know that. 
But I also need them to know something else. This group is going to the playoffs. That's not an if. It's a when. And that when is soon. We're going to end this bleeping drought. And then he also goes on to say, quote, I hope our front office is reading this and they understand it's time to really go all in. It's time to make some impact moves and put this group over the top, end quote. Taylor, <laughs> I mean, Mitch Haniger putting his money where his mouth is, really putting himself out there. When you read the column written by Haniger, what was your initial takeaway from it? I mean, this is this is it. This is exactly what I wanted to see from this Mariners team in this type of a situation. Yes, they they missed the playoffs. They fell short of their goal. Mitch Mitch ad- admitted that much at the very start of that quote, but he didn't have to write this. He didn't have to say this. He didn't have to do this and to go out there put pen to pad to write this letter to the fans specifically. It's what it's, it's who it's written to. It shows you that they care and that this is this is the team is in good hands. Yes, Kyle Seeger is most likely not going to be a part of this team. But with Mitch Haniger's comments here in the Players' Tribune, with JP's comments at the end of the season after Kyle's uh, big send-off, it, it, it just feels like this team is doing everything right leading to next season. Now comes the big caveat. What can the front office do and what can they help provide to this team that needs help? They can't replicate the 90 wins with this exact roster next year. It's it's too hard. They put too much on that bullpen at the end of the year. Those guys were gassed and it was just the the bats dried up a little bit at the end as well as as well as the start of the season. We know what they were like. So to to me it just shows you that this team is heading in this right direction. Now the ball is in the court of the front office. Yeah, you mentioned just the volatility of bullpens. I don't think you can rely upon the bullpen to have the kind of year that they had this last year. Casey Sadler with an ERA of .67, that's not repeatable. That is such an outlier. And I think Casey Sadler can still have another good year next year. But an ERA of two looks considerably worse than an ERA of .67. Same goes for Drew Steckenrider, who had a career season. Same goes for Paul Sewald, who put together a season that no one saw coming. Like you said, you cannot run this team back the way it was shaped a year ago and expect the same outcome because it was so random how the Mariners finished with 90 wins. And it was so out of the ordinary. They've got to add, and there are plenty of spots where they can add. And I think you look at the infield, that that to me is the the spot that needs the most help this offseason. Whether it be at second base, whether it be at third base, you have Abraham Toro that can play in both spots, but look, his play at the end of the season kind of tailed off in the final weeks of the season where he was not necessarily the player that came over from, that, from the Houston trade uh, around the deadline. Maybe you go out and get a, a big name like Marcus Semi and have him play second base or third base. Maybe you make a trade. You know, Javi Baez is out there uh, available in free agency too, who could you know play in a couple of spots. To me, that is the biggest need this offseason. But uh, going back to the Hanniger article, you mentioned this too. It's it's like this team now has bona fide clubhouse leaders, which outside of like Nelson Cruz over the last 21 years. I don't think this team has ever had like definite 
guys that the rest of the clubhouse kind of looks to in these moments where now you have it in Hanniger and you have it in JP and you had it in Kyle Seeger, but you're letting him walk out the door. Yeah, maybe Dan Wilson for a little bit towards the end. He was sort of that general, but you're right, Curtis. We really haven't seen that. And I agree with you that the infield does need that, needs to be addressed, needs that help. But I might say that starting pitching might be the most important thing and truly finding that ace as we look at these four teams left in the World Series chase. You look at those starting pitchers and you're like, oh my gosh, like... And on short rest, all of them feel like they're still capable of going out there and dominating. So, you know, can you get a guy like Max Scherzer for a couple years at the end? Does he still have enough left to be that ace if he were to come here? You know, there's going to be some questions about where they can find that true ace, but they have those pieces behind the one, right? And I think most of us would be confident with some of the arms coming up, what we saw from the the young arms and, and you know, like in Logan Gilbert, but it, it feels like they need one to two of those starting pitchers at the front of the rotation who can just go out there and know you're, you're getting one to two run ball every single time they, they take the mound. Yeah, I would. I think for me, in addition to addressing certain positions, I just want to see the payroll get to major league average. I think they have just what thirty something million dollars committed on the books for twenty twenty two. Average payroll in major league baseball is what like one hundred and thirty million dollars, which means there is plenty of room for the Mariners this offseason to get to that level. And maybe they don't get all the way there this offseason, and maybe next offseason they add on addition to what they do in 2022. But I want to see this team commit to spending and maybe not just throw money around willy-nilly just to get to that number, but spend it in an effective way. But also it sends a message to your fan base that we are doing – everything we can to make this team competitive and that should be goal number one of any organization is putting a competitive product out on the field and letting everything else kind of take care of itself because look you look at these organizations over the last you know five or six years that have torn it down and have rebuilt i look at the astros the cubs the white Sox, the braves all four of those teams have had plenty of success over the last few years and also they have seen fan interest in those cities just skyrocket to a point where they're making tons and tons of revenue. The Astros, I mean, you look at what they have done over the last couple of years with Altuve and Correa and Bregman and George Springer, who's no longer there, but think of the amount of money that organization has made over the last you know half decade. Same with the Cubs, even though they dealt away all of their superstar players. Look at the White Sox now. That ballpark was packed this last week uh, in the playoffs. The Braves are in the NLCS for the second consecutive year. So there is opportunity here to to be rewarded for spending. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna take it in the books immediately, but you're going to earn that back and then more based off of how good your team is on the field. Yeah, just look at T-Mobile Park. The last few games, the home games, it was rocking. I mean, I can only imagine what the concession lines look like, what the merchandise look lines looked like. It, it it was truly alive and baseball was back. We've heard all we've heard service say it. We heard Depoto say it that it, it truly felt like baseball was back in Seattle. 
capitalize on it. Take that momentum. Use it. Go forward. Not only show the fans you're invested, show those players in the clubhouse. They understand what happens when you add some of these players. When a Max Scherzer walks in the clubhouse, they know what that means. They know what he's going to help provide. And it's going to push them to be better, to match his level. And that's the hope for this franchise going forward as they get a few guys who are going to come in here and motivate everyone in that clubhouse to take that next step forward and to be a playoff contender. Coming up in the next hour, we'll get you a big three of some of the biggest national stories in sports. Also, we'll take a trip around college football. This is a college football Saturday. We'll get you set for the Cougs, the Huskies. Lots still in store in the final hour here. Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.